Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Are you glad to be seen? Cool. All right. Some of you are not sure. That's fine. Uh, if you're joining us online, you are not seen, but we, we understand spiritually that you're there, okay? Um, so... Have you ever been in this situation where you found yourself thinking that this could be the end? Anybody? Okay. So I, I've experienced a number of these, but one of them was back when I was about 11 years old. We were on the boat. It was me, my brother, uh, my mom, and my stepdad, and we were on the, the boat on Crooked Lake in Angola, Indiana. And it was a great evening, you know, it was a great weekend, like, it was, we were on the lake, and that means it was good. However, um, the storm that we didn't know about started to roll in very quickly. So, uh, you know, we started to see, me and my brother, we started to notice that my parents, my mom and stepdad, their face became concerned. And when you're a kid, you don't want to see your parents concerned, because that means... It's outside of their grasp of control, right? So you're a little worried. So uh, as the storm is starting to roll in, it rolled in quick. The wind came in and the rain started and we uh, just mashed the throttle. We didn't. My stepdad did. And, and we, you could feel all of the horsepower of that engine on that boat going. And so you got the wind, you got the rain, and you've got the speed of the boat. And that turned into a very violent road, like trip down the lake. See, we're on the opposite side of the lake to where we needed to get to, to get off of the lake. See, I know in Midwest, we talked about this when there's a thunderstorm warning or there's a tornado warning. What do we do when we're on solid ground? We go outside and we sit down and watch. But here's the thing, y'all, when you're on the boat, on the water, you hold a storm in much higher regard, right? Because you have a respect for the danger that is coming upon you because you don't want to be caught in a thunderstorm on a boat. Because the boat, while it was a nice boat, when the winds and the waves get going, it's not going to be a good thing. So we were trying to get going and get back to the solid ground. And, you know, spoiler alert, we made it, you know. So, so there's that. So we're on the boat in a storm, and that is a similar situation that the disciples found themselves in in Matthew chapter 8, right after what we talked about last week. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be jumping in, picking up right there. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, that's how it happens when you're on the lake, when you're just enjoying the water. Suddenly... The storm comes. A violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. He's just sleeping. Picture it. It's hilarious. Jesus is hilarious. Maybe, you know, back when you were a kid and you're supposed to be asleep, but you weren't asleep and you open your eyes like just to see if your parents were looking at you. I kind of just wonder if Jesus was like asleep, asleep, or if he was like playing like he's asleep. He's just trying to see if the disciples freak out a little bit, you know, because Jesus, I, I just maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It just says he was sleeping. OK, so the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. 
because it's a bad thing, right? They're on, and they didn't have an engine that they could just hit the throttle and get to the other side. They're a sailboat. Uh, he said to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Even Jesus is a little irritated when he first wakes up. You're not the only one. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Can you imagine being the weatherman and Jesus comes to town? Right? The weatherman gets a bad rap anyway. They're like, I don't know, 50% chance of rain. Or some days they're like confident, 100% chance of thunderstorms. And it comes. And then it doesn't get to the town on the east side because Jesus is at the lake on the west side and he rebukes it and the winds and the waves stop. Like, can you imagine being the, the weatherman at that point? It's like, I was right. You're like, no, nah, I wasn't. No, it was, I was right. Jesus did it. You know, Jesus rebuked the storm. And so, G, and so Matthew's showing us continuously that we, we, we learned that Jesus teaches with authority. Now we're seeing him use his authority, not only against uh, paralysis or demon possession, uh, but now he's using it to change the very like nature. He's changing mother nature by the word of his mouth. Like he is just powerful like that. Y'all like on the boat at Crooked Lake, when the storm came, we cranked up the throttle to try and get the solid ground. Jesus just took a nap. Jesus just took a nap because here's the, the thing that the disciples did. They held the storm in higher regard than Jesus right there with them. They didn't hold Jesus in high regard to the degree that they held the storm in high regard. So they were in a storm and Jesus was with them, but he was sleeping. But they were worried that they, they might not survive because they thought that maybe Jesus would have let them drown. Like how many times have you and I been in a storm in life? And we know Jesus is in the boat with us, but he seems to be sleeping. And, and we, we see the, the winds and the waves and the, the waves are coming into the boat and it's starting to sink. And you're like, what's going on, Jesus? Like, can you, can you move? Can you do something? And then he's just taking a nap because he ain't worried about it. Because he holds his own power in so much higher regard than he holds the storm in high regard. Like when you've got Jesus in the boat with you, understand he's got the power to merely speak that storm away. So Jesus is with them and tells them, you have little faith, why Like, why didn't you trust? How many times have you and I, how, how many times have we put ourselves in a position where Jesus could say, you have little faith, why are you afraid? I'm with you. I'm with you. I know the winds and the waves, they're, they're raging. But I'm in the boat. He goes on and they get to the other side. So they got to the other side eventually. Verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Like It was like when, you're, when you walked home from school and you were being bullied and you couldn't go that way because the bully would be there. Like This is that kind of a thing. But grown... Men and women couldn't go by them because they were demon-possessed and so violent. Suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us? These are the demons speaking to Jesus. What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? 
The tormentors who have been tormenting these men are worried about Jesus tormenting them. They, they recognize the power that Jesus has. A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Uh, if you drive us out, they said, the demons begged them, send us into the herd of pigs. Verse 32, Jesus says, go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to stay. Nope. They begged him to leave their region. I want you to get out of town and you need to get out of this region. Get not, not just out of the city, out of the county. Can you please leave? Why did they, why did they, that's kind of a weird kind of response to Jesus healing these demon possessed men. I don't know if they were afraid of Jesus' power or I don't know if they were upset because Jesus had gotten these demons to go into the pigs and that harmed this farmer, this pig farmer, his, his economy. And, and they said, like, I don't know what else Jesus is going to do to cause this economy that is our, our city, our, our town to plummet. We don't know what the reason was. Bless you, by the way. So we don't know what the reason was, but what we see Matthew showing us is that it doesn't matter who comes against Jesus. Jesus wins. It's interesting, too, the demons... Uh, they like really recognize who Jesus is. Uh, what do you have to do with us, son of God? They call him son of God. And the son of God, like the, that phrase, son of God, uh, in the Old Testament was commonly used for kings, but predominantly uh, the, the Jews would have understood this, be to be, this would be a term for kings, but especially, capital S, capital G, especially for the promised Messiah, that was going to come and deliver them uh, and bring them back to the glory that they had under King David. So a lot of first century Jews would have would have expected the Messiah to come. And if he came during their lifetime, that he was going to, one of the first things he was going to do was to rise to power and defeat the Romans and drive the Romans out of their town. So that they could be their own nation one more time. So that they could be uh, restored to glory. But... The demons, they recognize who Jesus is, and they also recognize what is to come. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah, is the anointed one, and is going to do something far greater than just merely drive the Romans out of town. But he's going to bring the kingdom of God to earth and expand that, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, which, by the way, the Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. And so if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So thanks be to God that Jesus not only came for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile people too. So that's, who, that's what Jesus did. So there's, there's two uh, like terms or, or names that is commonly given to Jesus throughout the Gospels. One is the Son of God. That's what people have called him. One thing that he refers to himself as, if you're okay with me Bible nerding just for a minute, uh, is he would call himself the Son of Man. The son of man. That's what he calls himself as a lot. So son of God, a lot of people think, okay, that's because he's second member of the Trinity, God the son, son of God. Well, no, it actually means he's referred to as the anointed king, the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one who's going to come and be the one to deliver God's people. 
But there's also this, this phrase, son of man. And, and a lot of people would say, well, Jesus called himself the son of man because he wanted us to understand that he's fully God and he's fully man. Now, I don't know about you, but if you, like, in your experience, probably 99% of the time, because there's always that 1% that's kind of weird, um, but you're like, you come across a human being and you don't need them to prove to you that they're human. Like I said, 1% maybe, I don't know. Probably not, I'm just joking. Uh, but Son of Man. No, Son of Man is actually Jesus taking on the, the title of what is talked about in Daniel chapter 7. Are you okay if I read this to you? Because it's really cool. Okay, thank you. All right, I, I was actually asking. It was not a redundant question. Okay, because if you didn't, I just wouldn't read it. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It's not going to be on the screen, um, but this is what it says. Daniel's having a vision. I continue watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, God, and he was escorted before him. This is Daniel 7, by the way, verse 13. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. When Jesus calls himself son of man, he's saying, I'm that dude. I'm that dude who's going to have an eternal reign that will never end. I'm that dude, the king who comes to deliver the all nations and all nations will serve me. That's when he says son of man. He's pointing us back to Daniel chapter 7. He's flexing. And he's not artificially flexing. Ain't no steroids needed. He's that powerful. Anybody... Uh, like maybe in the past or maybe still recently, uh, anybody ever watched the World's Strongest Man competition thing? World's Strongest Man? Yeah, I pump you up. You know, I pick things up, I put them down, that kind of thing, right? Um, that's what World's Strongest Man is. They have these different tests of strength. Well, the 2022 winner of World's Strongest Man was uh, Tom Stoltman. Dudes, dudes, that's a, that's a strong dude. Like, you don't want to be on his bad side. You know what I mean? I know some of you guys are like, he ain't that big. Just understand, dude's strong, okay? He's powerful. And in the World's Strongest Man competitions, so again, it's all across the world, um, he's actually uh, an American, but a lot of times it's not Americans who win. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. A lot of times the Polish guys. Back when I watched it, when I was a kid, the, the guys from Poland, I mean, I, I pick things up. You know, it's like they're, they're beasts. Um, but they have these different tests of strength. I mean, I know you're like, stop with the impressions are terrible. That's okay. Uh, that's fine. You know? Um, so one of the tests of strengths that they do is called the Atlas stones and they pick up like, that's a nice boulder, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, this is going off the rails. So they pick up the boulder, the boulder, and they pick it up and put it onto the, to the platform thing up above their shoulders, right? And these are like different size boulders and different, you know, weights. And like, you just imagine, it's awkward. You're picking it up. You don't want to drop it on your toes. That would be a bad day. And, um, you know, because it doesn't matter how strong your steel toe is. It's not going to, it's not going to work. So they're, they're picking up. That's called the Atlas Stones. Another one is, uh, they, they <laughs> I know you do this at the gym, uh, but so it's no big deal. But they'll pull a bus or a plane, <laughs> It's no big deal. You know, personal trainer's like, hey, what are you going to do today? Well, you're like, ah, 
I'm going to pull a plane, you know. <laughs> uh, so this is like, I mean, if, if the engine ain't working or those like tow, tow vehicles that get you onto the tarmac, those things, I don't know what they're called, but if they're not working, this dude can handle it, right? He can handle it. He's just pulling you into the, the runway. Uh, and then the other one, this is wild, y'all. This is wild. I know you're like, oh, it's not a big deal. Car walk. Car walk. He's inside the car, and there's a bar that is on his shoulders. He's carrying the car. I know you're like, oh, that ain't a big car. You know, that's not a big deal. Oh, the, the seats are out. Stop it. You ain't doing that, okay? The car walk. Dude's walking around with a car on his back. Well, okay, I know that Tom Stoltman and all those world's strongest men, if you're watching this, God bless you. Don't come to Bluffton and beat me up, okay? All right? Uh, you're awesome. But your strength does not compare to Jesus' strength. Because just like they have tests of strength to see who the world's strongest man is, Jesus had some tests of strength too. And none of them would be able to defeat these kinds of strength tests. Leprosy versus Jesus, Jesus wins. Paralysis versus Jesus, Jesus wins. Sickness versus Jesus, Jesus wins. Storm versus Jesus, what happens? Jesus wins. Uh, demons versus Jesus, what happens? Jesus wins. Jesus wins every time. I mean, I would just imagine Jesus coming up to the world's strongest man and be like, do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? You know, because Jesus doesn't just have the power to lift things. He has the power to heal people. Jesus doesn't just have the power to lift things. He has the power to do battle with evil spiritual forces. And the world's strongest man can be like, hey, that demon-possessed dude, why don't you go deal with him? No, they ain't doing that. Uh, Jesus doesn't just have the power to lift things. He has the power to lift people up from sin and death, as we're about to see in a minute. And if I could just, uh, real quick, Bible nerd uh, again, if you're cool with that, this time it is a redundant question. I'm just a rhetorical question. That's, a re- that's the word. Rhetorical question. I'm just going to show you. Um, so what happened when the demons were thrown out of the men? Where did they go? They went to the pigs, right? Okay, the pigs then ran off, off a cliff and into a body of water. The Sea of Galilee, likely, right? Um, so it went into the sea. Well, there's another lake um, that in Revelation 20, this is like a foreshadowing of what will happen to the demons on that day. The, the demon was like, hey, son of God, uh, why are you uh, like coming to me? Are you, why are you coming here to torment us before the time? Before the time. Because they knew there was a time that was coming that Jesus was going to bring peace to the world by ultimately dealing with evil. They, they knew that their time was ticking and that their time was going to run out. Because Jesus brings peace by dealing with evil. The evil inside of you, the evil inside of me, and the evil in all of the world. And one day in Revelation 20, we learn that there's another lake that is being prepared. And the ones who are going to be thrown into there are going to be Satan and his demons. It's called the lake of fire. So there's another lake that the demons are going to be thrown into and defeated once and for all. Um, and not only the Satan and the demons, but anyone who has pledged allegiance to Satan. And by the way, if you uh, pledge allegiance not with Jesus, you're pledging allegiance with Satan. That's the kind of black and white picture that Jesus gives us in the scriptures, paint for us in the scriptures. Um, and so anyone who's on his team, that's where they're going. The lake 
of fire. And then Revelation 21 tells us what's going to happen for all those who have surrendered to Jesus. They're going to be remade and and welcomed into the new heaven and the new earth. Heaven's going to come down and be joined with earth. And earth is going to be an eternal place for us to be. It's not going to be this earth. It's going to be a new earth, but it's going to be like this earth because God created this earth and called it good. And so Jesus is going to be preparing this place, but he also prepared the place for evil to go, and it's called the lake of fire. And so the demons are getting a little bit of a taste on what is to come later. So he goes on, Matthew chapter 9. We're covering a lot of ground today. Uh, Verse 1, so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic... Have courage, son. Your sons, or your sons, your sins are forgiven. Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this time, some of the scribes said to themselves, said to themselves, to themselves in their head, he's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, the Son of Man, remember, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. (laughs) Oh man, can you imagine being the paralytic guy? You know, he's carried, he's got to be carried everywhere. We don't know if he's a quadriplegic or, or, or he only has function in his upper body. We don't know like what his story was. But clearly, he couldn't get around on his own. Probably didn't have wheelchairs back then. Um, and so he's got to be carried. And he's got his friends who carried him to Jesus. Y'all get some, get some friends that will carry you to Jesus. Amen. Be the friends who will carry your friends to Jesus. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he couldn't get there. He, he had an ailment that he couldn't solve. He couldn't heal himself. He couldn't deal with. And so they brought him to Jesus. So, so Jesus, I just imagine, like, hey, Jesus, can you heal my friend? And Jesus says, have courage, son. Your legs, no, no, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They didn't expect that. The religious leaders thinking to themselves, he's blaspheming, which would be true if Jesus wasn't God. If Jesus wasn't God, he would be blaspheming because the only one who can forgive sins is God himself. He's the only one. But Jesus said, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your heart? In other words, hey, I'm right in front of you. You know the scriptures. You know what was promised. I'm him. I am. That's, that's what Jesus is calling himself. I am. Ego I me. This is the same thing that the, they would have understood God to say to Moses in the, in the presence of the burning bush. Because the, the first century Jews, they would have had uh, the, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament because that was their native language. So they would have read Ego I me, being God himself saying, I am, when, when Moses was saying, hey, who should I tell Pharaoh? Who, who, who are you? Like, what's your name? You know? Um, and, and Ego I me is what he said. And Jesus would call himself Ego I me. I am. I am. That's what it means. 
And so Jesus is God, fully God, and he's forgiving this man of his sins. And then they're like, you know, like, ah, he's blaspheming. He's just going cray cray right now because he clearly can't do this. So Jesus, as a sign of his power, tells the man, hey, bro, go ahead, get up, carry your stretcher home, and peace on out. And he does. You notice he told him to keep the stretcher. I just imagine he put that in the corner of his house. And when he's older, he would have told his grandkids, let me tell you about Jesus. You see that stretcher over there? That was my bed. That was my transportation. You see these legs? They used to not work. I told the testimony about Jesus because he told him to keep the stretcher. Remember where you came from. Remember the old you who wasn't healed, who didn't have their sins forgiven. You know, as we follow Jesus longer and longer, I think the, <clears throat> the reality of the sentence, your sins are forgiven, we understand that intellectually. We understand your, okay, second person singular, you, possessive, your, okay, your sins, so my sins are forgiven. So that's a status, right? They're forgiven, so they're not counted against you. We understand that. But I don't know that we always understand the, the implications of us being people who have sinned against God. So let me just remind us. So if you have ever sinned, this is the reality that we step into whenever we sin. Uh, number one, we have an infinite amount of sin debt on our books when we sin. Um, you see that icon? Like if you had a, a, a debt certificate, like if you go on your check your credit score or you got the bill at home, right? And it says the amount owed. Well, it wouldn't have a number. It'd have that because what is that, that symbol si- symbolizing? What is it? Infinite, right? Infinity. That's the amount of debt that you've got. So when you sin, that's the amount of debt on your books. Now, I don't know if you've got a mortgage or, or if you've got a car loan or credit cards or student loans and all that. But if you've got a lot of debt, it can be stressful, right? You just imagine having that kind of a debt to where you ain't going to be able to pay it on your own. Literally can't. So we have an infinite amount of sin debt on our books. Number two, we are guilty of treason against the God of the universe. We are guilty of treason against the God of the universe. Okay, God created the, the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created the whole universe. Um, so when you commit sin, you are committing treason, not against the country, but against the God of the universe. So just imagine, like, okay, what's, what's treason? The U.S. Constitution defines treason, describes it this way, tra- treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. When we sin, we become an enemy of God. That's what Scripture calls, calls us, an enemy of God. Uh, so we have waged war against God, and we have aided Satan in his rebellion against God. Okay, so uh, what does that look like then? How can you be convicted of treason? I ain't convict, tre- convict treason. Well, uh, consider this. This is what the U.S. Constitution says. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Now, let me ask you this. Have more than two people in your life ever witnessed you sin? Uh-huh. And if you ain't admitting it now, you got however many people in here witnessing you lying. Right? <laughs> 
you're done, son, you know. So, I mean, if we were brought against, brought to the judge in the courtroom, we would have a line of witnesses saying, yeah, I remember when he did that. <laughs> I remember when he said that. I remember when he did that. Because none of us are innocent. We've all committed treason against the God of the universe. Number three implication of sin is that we are held hostage by our sinful desires. Um, have you ever sinned and then you tried to not sin again? How'd that work out? You might not have sinned the same way, but you sinned some other way, right? Because we are very creative on figuring out ways to sin. <laughs> creative. And we're held hostage. Because when you sin, it becomes easier to sin. And before you know it, if you keep on sinning, you will find yourself enshackled and enslaved to sin is what the scriptures tell us. That without Jesus, we are enslaved to sin. We are held hostage by our sinful desires. And we can't help but do the thing that we don't want to do. Like we want to do the good thing, but we don't do the good thing. We are held hostage by our sinful desires. But here's what forgiveness of sins means. So you understand what sinning has implications on your life. Well, forgiveness of sins means no debt certificate, no guilty verdict, no hostage status. No, no, no debt certificate, no guilty verdict, no hostage status. That's what forgiveness of sins means. No debt certificate because he paid it. You get to live free of that weight. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says this. And when you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Your debt certificate is nailed to the cross, marked, paid when you surrender to Jesus. No guilty verdict. He served that guilty verdict, that sentence, on your behalf. You get to live without that burden, and your past doesn't have to hold your future captive anymore. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24 says this. Just listen to it. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You have been justified by Jesus. He has served that sentence on your behalf so that when you go before the throne room in heaven, God will treat you as if you have never sinned. You, you have sinned, but he will treat you as you have never sinned because what Jesus accomplished in his perfect life, he then imputes, credits to your account, he imputes that to you. So his perfection is imputed, credited to your account. So when you go before the throne room in heaven, you are justified. You are no longer guilty because that sentence has been paid. It has been served. No hostage status. He took that status away from you. You get to live without those shackles and instead become an adopted child of God. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He's talking about baptism. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. How many of you think that's a good idea and you're grateful that Jesus crucified the old you on the cross with him? I am thankful that that is true for me. And I hope you're thankful that that's true for you. If it is, let's just, let, come on. Like, are you thankful that the old you is dead? I really am, because I don't like that dude. 
but I like what Jesus is doing in my life. I ain't there yet, but the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. That means that Jesus has taken us on a path where we can grow and be more like him, which means that we, we no longer have the same sins that we do. Maybe they creep up, but we can, we can choose to follow Jesus. There is always a way out of temptation and toward him. So we follow him by the Holy Spirit empowering us and he changes our life. So forgiveness of sins means no debt certificate, no guilty verdict, no hostage status in your life. Everything has been changed because of his power. Everything's been changed because of his love. Everything's been changed because of his mercy. Everything's been changed because of Jesus. You didn't accomplish it. He did. So what kind of storm are you in right now? Have courage, son. Have courage, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. That is if you've surrendered to Jesus. If you surrender to Jesus, then he's in the boat with you. He's got you. He's walking with you. If you've not surrendered to Jesus, he's calling you to come to him, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and he will give you rest. And that is an invitation for those who have not surrendered to Jesus. And that's an invitation ongoing for those who have surrendered to Jesus. So Jesus looks at this, this, this paralyzed man and says, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Are you walking with the kind of courage that comes when you can walk freely without debt, without a guilty verdict, and without the shackles? Are you walking in courage today? See, the way you truly regard something changes the way you treat it. The way you truly regard something changes the way you treat it. But here's the thing. Oftentimes you and I have things that we say we hold in high regard, but it doesn't change the way we act. We say we, we, we highly hold in high regard marriage, but we're mean and bitey and discouraging to our spouse. We don't prioritize time with them. We only orient our lives around the kids. If you hold in high regard marriage and your marriage, you'll spend time cultivating that relationship. The way you hold in, the way you regard something changes the way you treat it. If you, if you say you hold in high regard friendship, but you don't spend any time or attention with your friends, then you might not actually hold that in high regard. Maybe you're like me. And I say I hold in high regard health, eating right, and exercise. But I don't do it. I don't exercise. I need to. I was actually like, the Lord's been working on me. Like, I need to do that tomorrow. See, I'll check with me. I just played a hockey game yesterday, so that's some exercise. I mean, that's a thousand calories in an hour and a half. Amen. Hallelujah. But hockey season's over now for me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to work on some stuff. If I don't actually treat it that way, I don't actually hold it in high regard. What about you? I hope and pray that over the course of our time together today, that 
from the beginning to now, you hold in higher regard the power of Jesus. You hold in higher regard the forgiveness of sins in your life. I hope you hold in higher regard the power of Jesus to move in the midst of the storm you're in. I hope and pray that you would not just highly regard that as an idea and walk away with it, but that you would highly regard it to where you treat Jesus differently. That that you would walk in courage, that you would walk in freedom, that you would remind yourself of where you've been and who you've been, and, and you would follow after Jesus, staying very close to him. If you notice, most of the times Jesus moves in someone's life, they are in close proximity to him. And the promise that you have is when you surrender to him, he's always with you to the very end of the age. So are you holding him in high regard? Trusting him with your life is worth it every single time. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for doing a work in our lives to where you have freed us from the debt that we've incurred because of our sin. God, you've served you've served the, the, the sentencing of our lives on our behalf. And Jesus, you've, you've broken the chains that held us captive to sin. You went into the belly of the beast. You went into Hades. And you walked out with the key to life. Jesus, thank you for being so powerful. Because I, along with I'm sure most everyone in here would admit that there's some times where we just feel powerless. We just feel like we don't know what choice to make, we decision to take, path to take. We find ourselves maybe in the midst of a storm and we don't know what way to go. We don't even feel like we know which way is north. God, would you, would you help us to have courage because we're remembering who we've been and we're we're remembering the fact that you're working even when we don't see it you're working and even when we don't feel it you're working God please remind us of that this week and help us to walk in courage as people who have had our sins forgiven we love you Jesus pray in your name amen thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton Indiana for more information visit fccfamily.com